It's gonna be scary. Not for us. All engine running. Lift off. on Thompson steps right, shoots for the win of three. He got it. He got it. Same my first rodeo. To the basket, turns Schroeder around. Russell Westbrook's house, the three and the lead. You betcha. Covington, biggest shot of the game, and he hits it. The corner, PJ Tucker. what is up and welcome to another episode of locked on rockets your daily podcast home for everything houston rockets basketball part of the locked on podcast network your team every day as always i'm your host jackson gatlin you can catch me on the twitter at jt gatlin and of course our show is also available on the bird at locked on rockets and if you appreciate what we do here at locked on rockets all the content all the guests please do me a favor hit that subscribe button drop a review leave us some stars share the podcast on all your social media i would sincerely appreciate it continuing our conversation with anthony duckett from space city scoop i promised that we would tackle this subject home court advantage in these playoffs does it matter does it not matter what what silly creative possibly actually meaningful ways can we come up with home court advantage mattering so first off anthony have you heard what what little rumblings have you heard any little rumors about what might be implemented to give home court advantage to those top four seeds in each conference so i've heard a couple things um one of which well, several of them are quite comical. Um, one of which is that, you know, the, the top seeds were hoping to have their their hardwood floor, I guess a replica of their floor um, sent to Orlando and that, you know, they would, I guess, technically still play on their home court, <laughs> uh, which I think is comical. Uh, quite, a quite literal translation of home court advantage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's actually quite comical. I, first of all, <laughs> what is the point in that? You know, there's still no fans, which really sucks, by the way, for us fans. But there's still no fans. And secondly, it's not really going to make a difference, you know, what gymnasium floor, you know, you're playing on. (laughs) So I don't like that idea at all. Um, I've also heard – I had heard rumblings that that some of the top seeds were hoping to get like a a 10-point head start or like a 13-point head start uh, going into the first quarter, which I don't like that idea at all because I don't even think that that's how the games would go, even if they were playing on their home floor. So I don't necessarily like that idea. I heard that, you know, there was a possibility of, like, you know, them being able to pick a key player to have seven fouls as opposed to the six and fouling out. You know, I suppose that that, that wouldn't really be a, as big of a deal. It's kind of minuscule. Um I also had heard earlier on that they were hoping to have the top teams be able to pick, I guess, what hotels, you know, the away team was going to be at. But I, I don't, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> but I guess that's not really an option with them all being in, you know, on the worldwide sports campus. I, I don't know if they have like if they have like different hotels or are they all going to be like in the, in one. I'm not sure how, how that works, but I suppose that wouldn't be a bad option. I mean, but to me, the most – I think the easiest way and the most fair way to do it and, – and it would still have – it would still have an effect on the game. It wouldn't necessarily have an effect on the way that the Rockets play per se. But to me, I think, like, one of the, the easiest ways is to give whatever home team in the series is, give them possession, you know, second, third, and fourth quarter, beginning of, beginning of the quarter. 
you know, and again, you know, you're taking away, you know, a possession, maybe, you know, maybe even two possessions from the away team. But I, I think that would be the easiest to impose. And I think that that would, that that would be fair and, and doable. I kind of, I kind of, so I kind of like a couple of those first off and a couple of those I hadn't heard. So I like the, I like the idea of designating a player for a seventh foul because you, you would almost immediately want to drop that on your star player. And that, that immediately gets rid of the worry of, you know, foul trouble. Right. And so for four out of the seven games of, of your series, your, your star has got an extra foul to burn. I kind of like that. And I do like the extra possessions. I feel like those aren't necessarily, they're not really comical. They're, they're quite technical. They're, they're, they're more of the, the serious ideas. And so I've got, I've got a couple that are not necessarily, they're not comical, but I do, and I do think that they would have a genuine effect possibly at least in the atmosphere. And so my first of which is that you would allow the home team PA announcer to go to Orlando. Okay. <laughs> so that's, that's only, that's only uh, 22 guys. No, sorry. We're talking playoffs, 16 guys. So that's only 16 extra people. And I know they're trying to limit as many people, as many teams as possible, right? But think about it. Rather than having some generic PA announcer, or or more than likely probably the PA announcer for the Orlando Magic, I would assume. But rather than having that PA announcer, you could have Matt Thomas cheering on James Harden and Eric Gordon doing his patented introductions for the opposing team. You know, LeBron... James, you know, rather than having an, an announcer that's energetic for both teams. And yeah. that I feel would generate some real like home court atmosphere, you know, think yeah, about it. So that, so that's my first one. And my second one is allow the home team during their home games, of course, to mimic the lighting and the sounds from their home arena, which for rocket fans would mean the dun, 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 da, 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 da. like, come on, like how incredible would that be? <laughs> Yeah, no, that, that, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. I just, you know, but I, I didn't really come up with any of that as far as the as far as the rules go, and I haven't seen those two mentioned anywhere else. But you know, just it is kind of it is kind of tough to think about what these playoffs are going to mean without the actual home court advantage, which is a, a, one of the main reasons that people are trying to point to, oh, there's going to be an asterisk on these playoffs. Well, no, like everybody's dealing with the same conditions. You know, it doesn't, mean, right. it doesn't make it any less meaningful, right? Yeah, I mean, so I, I certainly agree with that. You know, uh, I think Austin Rivers said it uh, recently that whatever team ends up winning the title, you know, they will have had to actually fight through some legitimate, you know, unprecedented conditions and circumstances we've never quite seen anything like this really at all you know outside of sports but especially you know in the NBA on the sports front so I don't really buy the whole you know asterisk to me what what this is going to do is make it even more intriguing because you don't have that home court advantage right um you you've got players that will have had to have been disciplined and remained in shape you know you're going to see the fans at least for sure are going to see you know, players that really take this serious, you know, I, I personally think it's going to add more intrigue. I'm not really buying the whole asterisk talk. You know, and, and I'm not either. I, I think whoever does come out on top deserves a le- – it's a legitimate championship. No matter how you try and slice it, this is a legitimate championship that means just as much as any other championship in history. And, and sure. speaking of championships, we've got there, – there are a couple guys on the Rockets who – 
a championship would bolster their resume significantly and, and you know help kind of erase some of the previous playoff struggles in their respective careers in Sir James Harden and Russell Westbrook. So I want to talk about them coming up next in just a moment after a quick word from our friends over at Blinkist. I have a million apps on my phone, right? But one of the most important ones, probably top, probably top five app on my phone, it's right up there with Twitter, honestly, is Blinkist. You know, and basically it takes the the key takeaways, the need to know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can listen to. You know, whether it's business books or health books, history books, whatever it may be, they have the best nonfiction titles that you've always wanted to read that you've just never quite had the time to. And maybe you've got the time to now, but maybe you're still not big into, you know, cracking open a book and actually reading it. You'd rather have the audio. You'd rather have the breakdown. You can do that with Blinkist. And you'll also get this unlimited access to listen to this massive library of nonfiction books. It's, it's really an awesome deal. And right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. You can go to Blinkist.com slash MBA and try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash MBA to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash MBA. One more time for Built Bars. These protein bars, right? Maybe you've never been a protein bar kind of person, but honestly, these protein bars, they're not like protein bars, right? They're a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. It's, it's a protein bar that is built, no pun intended, like a candy bar. It's covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft. They're easy to chew. Maybe throw them in the freezer, get that kind of, you know, get, get them to solidify up, but maybe a little bit more, maybe have that kind of, a little bit more of a refreshing, cool, crispy, crunch to them sort of and you know they've got 16 amazing different flavors they're honestly they're the best protein bar that I've ever personally taken taken part of that I've had you know before I've always had this kind of negative perception of protein bars not anymore not that I've got built bar in my life you know these these bars they're they are low calorie low sugar high protein high fiber they're they are everything you want out of a protein bar and more you can go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll actually get $10 off your first order. So remember, use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. And we are back in here at Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, chatting with Anthony Duckett from Space City Scoop. So, Anthony, we've got James Harden, Russell Westbrook, a pair of guys that have, let's face it, they, have, they, just, they haven't been able to break through. And they're a pair of guys that a championship would do wonders for their respective NBA resumes. And they've also got some, some blemishes in, their, in, their, in each of their careers. And the first two that come to mind for each of them, right, is just James Harden has this one gigantic stain on his career as, as a Rocket. And that is the, the block from Manu Ginobili in Game 5 and then the abysmal Game 6 against the Spurs back in that 2016-2017 season the season that he lost the MVP to his now teammate, Russell Westbrook, you know, that game six, just, just terrible. Two of 11 shooting. Uh, how many turnovers? He had six turnovers, just awful all around. And it didn't even look like himself. And that, yeah. that was, that was, that was problematic. But then you've also got Russ who hasn't done anything for the last three years in the NBA has been ousted from the first round each of the last three seasons. So you got two guys who are searching for, 
you know, potentially some type of a signature moment in these playoffs. For sure. And, and, you know, both of those points that you made are valid points uh, without a doubt. Now the game six uh, against the Spurs where the Rockets scored 75 on the home court. I mean, that was, that was, you know, as low as it gets that, that, that was really bad. And there's no defending that, but that's a game. I think Harden takes, I mean, he, he went to, like you said, two of 11, you know, 10 points. That's, you know, in a closeout game, that's certainly not what you, you know, you're not going to be able to get it done with that from an MVP candidate. But that game, the Rockets shot 28.6% from the field. You know, um, so I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, that to me was more than just Harden. Now, he obviously is a catalyst uh, for the Rockets, and he will always be that. But that game, I, I think he takes he, – he takes – he certainly deserves blame, but he shouldn't be the only person that gets blamed with that because that was an epic failure of sorts by the team. <laughs> um, and, and as it pertains to Russ, I mean, so, of course, he, he's gotten bounced in the first round, you know, I think each of the last three years as well. Um, although I also think, you know, of course, Russ didn't get the job done, you know, those those three seasons, those three postseasons, I would say. Um, but he also was really let down by Paul George. I mean, especially last year, Paul George was an MVP candidate. You know, he was an MVP finalist. And, you know, Paul George did not show up in that first-round series against Portland. And, you know, everyone everyone loves – and I don't know why, but everyone loves to, you know, fuel the fire of, of Dane versus Russ and mentioning that that shot, <laughs> that, that, that walk-off three-pointer, which is yeah. incredible from half court. But, I mean, who was defending him on that play? Paul George. Paul George. You know, when the game was over, Paul George said it was a bad shot and all that. You know, it's like, no, dude, you were you were defending him. <laughs> you know, if it, and and Paul George was also a defensive player of the year candidate. So, you know, again, you know, not to take away from Russ's, you know, shortcomings because he's had those. Um, but I think that when it comes to Russ and that OKC team and how they were built, I really don't think that they got what they were expecting from Paul George. I think that I think that's a, a fair assessment about that duo and you know the their inability to deliver because they were you know one of the t- star-studded duos of the league. Now they weren't. You didn't necessarily have two top five players together or, or two top ten players together because right now the only team that has there's only two teams with two top ten players in my opinion, and that's the Lakers and the Rockets in right. LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and James Harden and Russell Westbrook. So, you right. know, I think maybe you could make the argument, especially, you know, Paul George playing at an MVP caliber level last season, that, you know, maybe maybe he was top 10 and Russ was, you know, in that 10 to 15 range. But still, sure. I, I actually want to go back, though, to Harden for a second. Yeah. And I want to reference something that the late Kobe Bryant has said. And, you know, when I look at Harden's stat line from that game six in San Antonio – it's it's painful to see two of eleven on the stat line for him, and to go to the Kobe Bryant quote, and I'm not I'm paraphrasing here, but he said something along the lines of, you know, if you go oh if you go you know two for twenty or you know five for twenty five whatever that you just had a bad game right you just didn't have it that night or something like that, but if you go oh for eight it means you beat yourself it means you psyched yourself out of the game it means you right. allowed yourself to be defeated, and Harden's body language in that game showed me that he had allowed himself to be defeated. You know, I just – I remember that game vividly oh. because of how upset I was at, at just the way that he was playing that game, the fact that he was passing the ball off to his teammates, not looking to be the aggressor. And 
I know that there's the rumor out there, the, the conspiracy theory that he was playing concussed. I don't know how much I buy into that because it's a big no-no for a player to play concussed in the NBA. And, and, you know, after he took that elbow from Pau Gasol in game five, he went back into the locker room, did the concussion protocol, and there's never been even so much as a whisper from the Rockets organization that he was concussed and that they, you know, just trotted him out there to play anyways. So I don't quite buy that. I just think it was just probably one of the single worst games, maybe the single worst game of his career. And True. I think ultimately he needs a significant moment to point to to overshadow that moment now he's had some clutch moments in the playoffs he's had big games but it pains me to think that I can't think of one like a signature moment right like if you think and this is and I hate to have to use this as a reference right because he shouldn't get bonus points for going scoreless in the first half but Steph Curry exploding and going supernova in the second half of game six gets talked about all the time right that is you know, kind of a signature moment, something that I'm talking about. Now, I'm not hoping Harden goes scoreless in one half and then erupts in the second half, but he needs something, some, uh, some kind of a monument that we can attest to in the playoffs to point to when fans try to, when opposing fan bases try to bring up, you know, the game six from the Spurs. So he, so you're right about that, but he, he's had some, he's had some moments. What's really interesting about Harden is that it seems like the standards are higher for him than other players because. So game three of the – so the Rockets limped into the playoffs the 2015-16 season, 41-41, and 41, which is awful, you know, coming off a Western Conference Finals trip the year before. McHale gets fired the first 11 games, you know. Um, and the season just, just didn't go the way we would have liked. But, we, you know, we were the eighth seed. We ended up playing against the Warriors in the first round. We we're never going to win that series. Uh, but in game three, Harden dropped 35 points, nine assists, eight rebounds, and he hit a game-winning step back over uh, Andre Iguodala, which was a mid-range shot, I might add. <laughs> um, but, you know, for some reason, we don't remember that moment. You know, we don't, we don't remember. remember it because they lost the series is the problem. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and now, and, I, and again, I think, I think it's hard to point to a signature moment in a series that you lost, right? It's kind of like pointing sure, yeah. to Kevin Love's stat line back when he was on the T-Wolves. It's like, yeah, he's putting up, you know, 32 and, and 18 or 35 and 18, whatever it was, whatever the absurd stat line was. But he was doing it on a losing team, a lottery team, a lottery team. So nobody yeah. cared. You know, it's got kind of that same – gravitas to it I guess and I would I would love to have something to point even Chris Paul in his time with the Rockets I I like to point to his domination in game five against the Jazz when he was determined to get the Rockets to the to the to the Western Conference Finals when he won he put everything in 41 points the bank shot three at the bear at the very end of the game if if memory serves just that game was his his statement game right his we are going to the western conference finals i am putting this team on my back and we are going there i will lead us there and it doesn't i don't think there's been one of those from heart and that sucks like because he's had just one of the, some of the worst luck of any other superstar having to go up against the Golden State Warriors four out of the last five playoff trips that he's had. You know, they've been ended by the Warriors. And some of those didn't, you know, some of those were, were bound to happen, right? The, the massacre in the 2015-2016 season, you know, as the eighth yeah. seed. There was, there was no chance there. That team was not the right team. And it, that's, what, that's what pains me as a Harden fan with him being my favorite player. Yeah. It pains me to not have a moment to be able to point to. Well, I mean, and you're right, you know, and the one of the biggest, you know, challenges 
as it pertains to Harden and what we define to be a signature moment is like you said, you know, unless it, you know, results in a, in a win, especially in a postseason, an entire series, you know, it kind of gets forgotten because last season against the Warriors, I mean, game three, 41 points, game four, 38, game five, 31, game six, 35. I mean, that, that was the stretch. That series, he had a 34.8 points. He was a leading scorer of, of both teams in that series, you know, now, again, of course, you know, the Rockets didn't win that series. So, you know, it's kind of a moot point. And, and especially then, and then you're, you're right. The, the narrative very well may, may have been completely different had they come out and actually, you know, had they won that series. You know, people might look back and myself included might look back and the, the narrative surrounding those games might be different. And I, some might say that's unfair that you should look at the games on a game by game basis and just say, yeah, that was, that was hard in the statement game. I don't think it can be the statement game because ultimately they did lose that series. And that's, that's a hill I'm willing to die on. Well, I mean, and you're, you're not the only one, you know, to, to uh, certainly assess it that way. And and it's fair. I mean, especially in the playoffs In the playoffs, you know, it's either you, you know, you you advance or you go home. And that also is kind of a microcosm of the bigger, you know, way that stars are evaluated based off, you know, rings, titles, championships. So, you know, you're certainly not going to get, you know, uh, praise or, you know, defined a signature moment based off of, you know, games that took place in series that you actually lost in the playoffs. And that is the reason why, part of the reason why, you know, Harden in the Rockets, you know, Harden's Rockets era, we kind of, like you said, we, we don't really have, a moment, a signature defining, you know, a, a legacy defining moment that we could say, you know, that has happened in the playoffs since he's been in Houston. Now, the moment that he's, you know, most known for in the postseason for his career was in Oklahoma City against the Spurs, you know, during the 2012 playoffs where he just gashed the Spurs, you know. Uh, exactly. Like that, that, that's what I'm looking for. Right. And I think yeah. that's what, what a lot of Rockets fans are looking for is a moment is that to point to, right. They want to right. have a series that is, you know, everything's on the line and they want to point to him and say, he was the hero. He won that series. Yeah. And you know, and the, the, the burden is it doesn't matter in the first round, right. If you're playing a first round opponent, you know, if you dominate the T wolves or you beat the jazz for the umpteenth time in the first round, it doesn't matter like that. Like right. at that point, that kind of, the stakes aren't high enough in the first round, you know, and I think the narrative surrounding Chris Paul and how he'd never been out of the second round played into a large part of why that game meant so much. And then he also gave, you know, the greatest postseason interview of all time, you know, right afterwards saying, you know, I've been here, I've been up three, one and excuse my French, but shit went bad real quick. Like yeah. that is hands down one of the greatest post game interviews that I've ever seen. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'll tell you and what. Paul's known for a few of those. He, he, he's gold in the post game. <laughs> yeah, just you know, I, if there's one thing I mi- I do miss Chris Paul's personality quite a bit. You know, just oh, yeah. his, his shenanigans were something else. But I'll Although tell you what, Russ, I, you know, Russ is known for some some of that too now, especially the popcorn after the game where he says his eyes get big. Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah, just his eyes get ooh, cotton shot. You know, just you know, Russ got <laughs> Russ has got he's grown on me. He's got a great personality too, and. You know, it's it's great to see the the greats that have come through Houston and, and been a part of this organization. Now, speaking of Russ, I actually do have something that I want to ask you in just a moment, Anthony. But first, I want to drop in one more quick word from our friends over at Rock Auto. So, you know, chain stores, they have different price tiers for professional mechanics and, and do-it-yourselfers, whereas rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody and they are reliably low. 
rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear, kind of like what airlines do. They, you know, the, these guys, they're for everybody. They don't require a membership or account logins, you know, and they're, they're a family business. They've served auto part customers for, you know, online for 20 something years now. So you can go to rockauto.com to shop for any and all auto and body parts from hundreds of different manufacturers. They probably have the part you need. So remember, just go check them out at rockauto.com. See all the parts available for your car or truck and be sure to write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so that they know that we sent you there. They have an amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. And we are in here for our final segment at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day, chatting with Anthony Duckett from Space City Scoop. So, Anthony, time to put you on the spot. Okay. Who does, who, <laughs> if the Rockets make it all the way to the, through the COVID Cup, they win the championship, who does this ring do more for, James Harden or Russell Westbrook? Mm, that does put me on the spot because I think they are both in equal need. Um, I'm going to go with Harden, though. And the reason why is because, I mean, Harden has come a lot closer, especially in the recent years. You know, we hit on it earlier that Russ has, you know, he's had, he's gotten bounced in the first round each of the last three years, which not, I don't think was entirely his fault, of course. But, you know, in the case of Harden, he, he's come so close. I mean, you know, how many rings does he have right now if the Warriors weren't built the way they they were, right? Now, granted, you know, we look, you know, we can say that about, you know, you, you, you can say that about, you know, the Bulls during Jordan's, you know, era, you know, of how many players would also have, have rings, you know. But I genuinely feel like, you know, the Rockets and Harden especially, especially a 2017-18 season, I mean, if it's not for an injury, I mean, that has to be the worst luck. You know, Chris Paul gets injured late in the game, you know, pivotal game, Rockets were up 3-2. Um, and the Rockets were certainly going to win that series. And there's no doubt that if they win that series, they're going to beat Cleveland in the finals. There's just no doubt about it. Same, no, I mean, yeah. same, same thing with last year. I mean, last year, granted, it was a different team. So, you know, the Rockets did not look nearly the same, you know, 18-19 as they were 17-18. But I still believe that even, you know, if they, if they beat the Warriors, you know, I still believe that they would win a title and have beat Toronto. Now that wouldn't have been a, a, a guarantee. That wouldn't be a shoe in, but I, I like those chances. I, and I like those chances too. And I, and I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you on the, on the matter of, I think it does more for Harden's legacy, at least right now in this moment. But my, the reason I think it does more for Harden is because this team is still, and I know there's been that debate about, you know, is this really still Harden's team? Is it now Russ's team? No, this team, until, until Beardman leaves, this is his team, like regardless. The, the talk of is this Russ's team now that the team is going five out and they're trading their starting center so that he can be more effective? No, this is just them maximizing their second option, and that's what it is. Russ is the second option. James Harden is the alpha on this team. Now, I know that goes contrary to what some people want to believe with Russell Westbrook and his alpha dog mentality. Yes, that, that is his mentality, but James Harden will always, until James Harden leaves the Houston Rockets with, which hopefully will never happen. And he will retire a rocket with at least seven championship rings and seven fresh banners in Toyota center. But seriously speaking though, James Harden will be the leader of this team until they decide to move on from this era of rockets basketball. And I think that 
is the reason that the ring does more for him because it'll be his team. He is the primary option. He is the go-to guy. He's the guy that's going to take the last shot, those types of things. Unless we see some type of a magical finals performance from Russell Westbrook, I think it does more for Harden. Yeah, so I mean, it sounds like we we both agree more or less on on who you know who who would stand to gain more, benefit more, and I certainly agree that the Rockets are you know Harden's team. Whether it's you know with CP3 being here, or Dwight Howard being here to a lesser degree, uh, Russell Westbrook also being here. I mean, the, the, of course, the team is is Harden, and like you said, Russ certainly has the you know the alpha you know personality, the alpha you know psyche. But I mean, if you look at the impact you know, of the game. I mean, Harden's impact, even this season, you know, people feel like he's had a down year. He's averaged 34.4 game, you know, his true shooting percentage is still high, you know, through the roof, you know, and he's being double teamed in half court, which which is allowed, you know, in many ways, it's allowed Russ, you know, to thrive on a one-on-one matchup, you know, because Harden's drawn two defenders. Now, earlier in the season, you know, Russ was, you know, he, he could not resist the temptation of taking an open three-point shot, you know, uh, went hard and drew the double team. I like that, you know, as the season progressed, he kind of realized his niche, you know, really is in the mid range and, and, you know, attacking the basket, attacking the rim. But still, I mean, e- even that, you know, is, is a byproduct, a microcosm of the, the impact that Harden draws on defenses. Absolutely. Yeah. There was a, there was a thread floating around on Twitter of just the, the double teams against Harden this season. And it was just ridiculous to see, the ones where he, there was one, it was a video because most of them were pictures. And then there was the video of right after the tip in Toronto where Harden gets the ball after, after Capella wins the tip. And then immediately as he crosses half court, uh, Freddie, steady Freddie comes running over to double team him. And it, <laughs> very first possession of the game. And, you know, that game, anybody who remembers, that was the game that Ben McLemore went absolutely off from downtown yeah. because of those double teams because Toronto stuck to their game plan and got burned by it. So, you know, we're definitely in agreement there. And there's going to be, I can already tell, there's probably going to be some rust stands in my mentions who are upset about, about that decision. But I think, I think it makes a lot of sense as to why we're leaning that way. Now, last topic we have to kind of tackle before we wrap things up is, well, a pair of topics kind of um, have to do with coaching. So we'll get this first one out of the way. And it's the, the idea that coaches over 65 might not be able to be in the bubbles to be in Orlando and, and be a part of their coaching staff when the season resumes because of COVID related concerns, which I immediately, like I scoffed at that. Like I don't use the word scoff a lot because it sounds kind of pretentious, but when I heard yeah. that, I was just like, I, what even is a scoff? Is it, oh, like, oh, I can't even do I mean, it, right? I think in general, it's I'm not like, rich. Like, I'm not rich enough to scoff. <laughs> I'm not either. Uh, but I think in general, it's like to like chew something away, just kind of dismiss it, you know, shrug your shoulders at it. Yeah. And I just, I don't know what your reaction was to it, but I, and people all over the place have been saying, yeah, this, like, there's no way that this actually happens because what was the list of coaches? We got Mike D'Antoni, Alvin Gentry, uh, Greg Popovich, you know, are there any other, those are, is those three or is there a fourth well, I, one? So I think those are the three, but I think there are also some assistant coaches uh, that, that, that are also kind of up there in age. I, I think Jeff Bitzdelic in, in New Orleans is also um, up there, I think in his 60s, former Rockets coach also. There you go. And so could you imagine, you know, for, from the Pelican standpoint, not having their head coach and their assistant coach, just uh, what are we going to do? Just set some like iPads on the bench and just FaceTime them into the game? Like, no, there's, <laughs> you can't 
pry away the coaching staff from your team regardless. Now, obviously, if the coaches themselves don't feel safe in the environment, then by all means, just like with the players, if players don't feel safe and don't want to return to play, they shouldn't have to. But by that same token, if a coach wants to return to play, if the co- if Mike D'Antoni wants to be on the sideline and wearing a mask and good to go for the games, then he should be. Yeah, I mean, so I, I certainly agree with you. And, you know, for starters, I, I understand, you know, the, the, the general concern, just in general, of, you know, those above 60, 65, you know, in, in, in case of D'Antoni is almost 70. You know, I, I understand the general premise that, they are at a heightened risk uh, of COVID-19, you know, you know, God forbid, a lot of the deaths that we've seen have been in that age group, you know, uh, it's, you know, it's taken a lot of them a longer time to get over that, you know, so in general, I, I understand that concern. And I think that's the league trying to, you know, play safe or, you know, play the safety card. But the thing about D'Antoni is that, you know, I would argue that he's, at age 69, he's probably healthier than a lot of 29-year-olds, <laughs> you know? I mean, all that all that walking up and down the court and, you know, waving <laughs> his hands and yelling at refs, I mean, he's got to be in good shape, man. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, you just think year-round, you know, uh, and we, we, haven't, we haven't heard of, at least I don't know if there's ever been, like, any health concerns or health scares uh, of D'Antoni. I mean, he's been – he's a fairly healthy guy. They certainly can't discriminate on the basis of age, which is – they have to be careful because it. I mean, it really kind of. They're to me, they're kind of straddling that fence with, with the whole, you know, age. You can't sit with your team type thing. So they've got to really be careful there. And I do understand the angle. Like I said, the general idea of you know a person that's you know in their later stages of life, you know, being impacted, you know, more than someone who's you know, let's say, in their forties per se. But again, these are these are these aren't just you know, 69, 70-year-old, you know, guys, you know, like you said. Joe Blow off the street. No, these are professional NBA coaches who know exactly what they're getting into. Now, I I will say I do remember, and I don't remember why it was, but there was that brief stint where D'Antoni was hospitalized for a brief while. I think it was like a a stomach virus or something. But, you know, that. and and so there is, you know, obviously there's concerns there with his age. But at, at the end of the day, if he wants to be there, he should be allowed to be there. And I cannot for even one second imagine the NBA trying to pass some type of preventative law or rule that says, you know, coaches over X age can't be with their team. So I think and that then, we, we pretty much and, nip that one in the bud. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and then, you know, what's also interesting, especially about D'Antoni is that he's the one that, you know, would have the most to lose. I mean, he's in a contract year, of course, you know, there's been negotiations on both sides dating back to this past, you know, the off season before uh, 2019, 20 started. So, I mean, I would argue that he would probably have the most, to gain and or lose out of all the coaches that, that are even going to be, you know, returning to play in, in Orlando. Absolutely. And speaking of the, the contract negotiations, that's kind of our final point that we're going to hit on is Tillman Fertitta basically came out and said that the decision to re-up on D'Antoni's contract is up to Daryl Morey. And I don't know if I buy that. I, I, I don't know how to feel about that comment. What, what are your thoughts on that, Anthony? So <laughs> I'm actually kind of like you because, you know, what's really interesting about that, a number of things. For one, recently we had we really had heard Tillman, you know, kind of expressing, I don't want to say maybe doubt, but, you know, he had made comments that were very forthcoming as it pertained to whether Daryl's going to even be back next season. So <laughs> to hear him now say, 
you know, I'm going to, you know, if, if Daryl wants Mike D'Antoni back, he'll be back. I'm going to let Daryl make that call. That is like a complete, you know, 360 or, or, or 180, whatever, whatever it is. That's like a complete reversal of, you know, what we had seen. We've also seen, you know, Tillman, you know, being an owner who wants to be in the weeds, wants to be very involved, you know, not an owner who is, you know, willing to kind of, you know, you know, step back and, and let his, you know, his front office or his GMs, you know, run the show. He's certainly been an owner that has wanted to be in the weeds, in the mix, as it pertains to spending, as it pertains to, you know, we've been hearing him talk a lot lately about we're not scared of the Lakers, you know, we're not scared of the, of the LA teams, you know. So it is really interesting to see him step back 100% and say, I'm going to let Daryl run the show. I'm, I'm a little worried that the reasoning behind that was so that if things don't work out with, with Mike D'Antoni and, you know, re-upping on that contract, then Tillman can kind of just, you know, wipe his hands and Pass say, oh, play. well, you know, I, yeah, just, you know, uh, it was, it was up to Maury and he couldn't get it done. So I guess we're going to switch to some other, you know, I'm, I'm a little worried that that's the tactic at, at play here. I hope I'm wrong. I would, you know, based, depending on how these playoffs go, I would be, I would welcome the return of Mike D'Antoni. But if these playoffs go poorly, if we don't see something out of this team, I would also, I'm not against the departure of Mike D'Antoni. If, if that's, you know, and I kind of come from this area of, you know, I've mentioned this before, but it feels like he may kind of have, have served his purpose here in Houston and, you know, getting a coach that can maybe shore up the defense a little bit more, not a Tom Thibodeau, but, you know, somebody that can, you know, maybe a young idealist type coach who has some new ideas on how to do things. And I like to point to Nick Nurse a lot, right? He's a guy who came out of nowhere, you know, came through the G League system. Nobody knew who he was. And he led the the Raptors to a championship in his first season as, as a head coach. So guys like that are out there. There's other young, bright basketball minds who aren't, you know, former head coaches who, you know, maybe don't have all this name brand recognition, but, you know, who could easily do a good job. I'm just not knowledgeable enough on those potential names but I'm sure Daryl Morey is well yeah I mean so so I don't disagree on the premise that the Rockets could certainly find another up-and-coming coach a, a young you know bright bright coach who's who's you know been on you know some storied coach or some you know um, big-time coaches bench you know as assistant lead assistant second assistant I don't necessarily doubt that but I, I think it will be difficult because I mean, we've heard in general that there's going to be a very short offseason. You know, so, I mean, first of all, it's going to be a short offseason. So, I would think – I personally feel like Dan Tony or, or someone in his situation would stand to benefit from the fact that he's got so much time and familiarity with the team, even though the small ball is, is still very new for him also. And, you know, he's not necessarily been working with Russ for a long time, per se. But I also think when you look at the construction of the roster that I don't necessarily believe that you know, the Rockets, they don't have a – I mean, I believe that Isaiah Hardenstein could certainly contribute and certainly deserves more minutes, you know, but the Rockets don't have a, a, a traditional big man on their team. And part of the reason why it was such a, you know, storyline is because it's really kind of unconventional in the league right now. I know the Warriors did this when they, you know, moved Draymond to, to the center spot because of KD and how they are built, you know, but – I just don't know that another coach is going to come in and say, okay, cool. You know, the roster you guys have, I'm cool with that. I'll take that as is. Because it's not like the Rockets have the money to go out and acquire some big-time center. I mean, you know, so 
I'm really I'm really curious to see how that goes on that angle. But I, I do I do agree with you that there certainly is a young upstart coach out there that could be able to, you know, uh, do great things like like Nick Nurse did with the Raptors last season. All right. Well, I think that's probably as good a place as any to kind of wrap things up for. Anthony, I appreciate you taking the time to be here with us. Please do me a favor. Let everybody know where they can find your stuff at. Yeah, so I'm on Twitter uh, at A underscore Duckett. Um, you can also find uh, Space City Scoop at Space City underscore Scoop. Uh, that's our handle as well. We generally, like I said, we, you know, we've been pumping out content. We've been trying to at least um, every day during the hiatus. <laughs> Hasn't been easy, but um, so yeah, so you certainly can find find all, all of our work there, and you can find me you know, and, and my my handle also. Always great content from both Anthony and the other writers over at Space City Scoop. Thank you so much for being here with us today, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. That's where we're going to wrap things up for today. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.